friends, this is Glenn. Welcome to you. This is Linda. And you know when you hear Glenn and Linda, you're listening to Preparing Our Heart for Worship podcast. It's so nice to have you all here again in our studio. I think your bones are getting together and your leg is getting stronger. I can tell you're not hurting as much as you used to. Yes, and I went to the doctor and he's cleared me to walk on a boot. Well, you're not climbing any stairs yet. No, no, no. I know this has been difficult for you. Yes, it has, but I'm looking forward to getting better soon. The doctor said it would take about 12 weeks for my ankle to get usable again. Well, I'm glad you're better, Orlando. Tell tell folks what song we're looking at this week. Okay. Uh, we're doing another old song used over the years as an invitation and uh, at decision time in our services. We have a nice country uh, gospel version of this song this week, and I hope that our listeners will enjoy it. Why don't we change things up this week and listen to Forgiven to the Song right at the front of our program before we get into the history and spiritual application of the song. Okay, here's Forgiven and Have Thine Own Way. Thank you. 
sets the scene for this hymn. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do Cannot I do with you as this potter? Said the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. The text was written by uh, Adeline Anderson Pollard, who was born in November 27, 1862, into a Presbyterian family of James and Rebecca. Rebecca Poland. She had a gift for writing prose, poetry, and hymns, and even articles. Her birth name was Sarah, but she strongly disliked that name and changed it to Adeline. She spent her life in ministry, teaching at schools, working with evangelists, and serving in missions overseas. She had a strong interest in foreign missions. After attending the Denmark Academy at Denmark, Iowa, another school in Indiana, and the Boston, Massachusetts School of Oratory, she moved to Chicago, Illinois, and taught in several girls' schools. For most of her life, she was usually associated with a various small independent fundamentalist sects, but she was a talented writer in both prose and poetry and produced many religious articles and hymns. No one really knows how many hymns with which she should be credited with because she rarely signed them. And when she did, she only used the initials A-A-P. However, Miss Pollard's main interest was evangelism. Throughout her life, her frail body was plagued with weakness caused by diabetes. But she traveled all over the United States and spoke to numerous groups about Bible teaching. In 1902, at the age of 40 and still single, she made plans to go to Africa as a missionary teacher under the leadership of a man named Sanford. When she was on the verge of preparing to sail, at the last minute, her funding failed, and she was forced to cancel her trip. The discouraged woman attended a prayer meeting, and while sitting quietly, heard someone make the following statement, It's all right, Lord. It doesn't matter what you bring into our lives. Just have your own way with us. Thinking about these words on her way home, she put the hymn on paper before retiring that night. After the prayer meeting, she returned home and wrote the hymn as we sing it today. The elderly woman inspired Pollard as she contemplated the story of the potter from Jeremiah 18.3. And upon her return from to home that evening, she wrote all four stanzas before going to bed. Five years passed after Pollard penned the lyrics. George Stebbins composed a melody which he named Adelaide. That tune was used to accompany the text written by Pollard. But Pollard had a strong desire to be a missionary in Africa. When this plan was not fulfilled, she taught as a missionary training school in Nyack on the Hudson. She finally made it to Africa for a brief period before World War I, but she spent the war years in Scotland. And after returning to the United States, she continued her ministry even though she was in poor health. The text with its tune, Adelaide, was included in the Northfield Hymnal, 
with Alexander's Supplement in 1907, two changes were made for the United Methodist Hymnal. In stanza two, Master was changed to Savior, and Whiter Than Snow was changed to Wash Me Just Now. This change offers insight into the process of editing a hymnal. The Reverend Clayton R. Young, editor of the United Methodist Hymnal, noted in his Companion to the United Methodist Hymnal, the Hymnal Revision Committee debate on the latter change was intense and sustained. Those proposing the change stated that one does not have to be, while in North Europe or Anglo-Caucasian, to be perceived as spiritually pure and socially acceptable, and African members said, you can wash me as long as you wish, but after you're finished, I'll be just as black, which is beautiful. Those who wish to retain the original argue that the reference to washing was not about pigmentation of the human skin, but the soul, as in Psalms 51, 7. Purge me with a hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The third stanza perhaps is autobiographical, reflecting the struggle of Miss Pollard to discern God's will for her life. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. This stanza also summons the power of Christ to touch me and heal me. The final stanza invokes the Spirit to fill the singer, till all shall see Christ only, always living in me. Years later, later, Pollard, the writer of the song, would serve for a time in Africa. She also spent the years of World War II, World War I, ministering in England. She continued to speak publicly in the rest of her life. She died on December 20th, 1934, New York City. She was at the train station waiting to travel to another speaking engagement in New York City. When she was struck with a seizure that made her trip into glory. Her body was buried at Fort Madison in her native state of Iowa, not far from her hometown. She wrote over a hundred hymns during her lifetime. She wanted no recognition for her hymns and signed most of them AAP. Have thine own way, Lord, is her only hymn still known to be in use today. The song suggests the way to develop the characteristic of submission to God. Stanza 1 says that we must realize that God is in control. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielding and still. God is the potter, and we are the clay. Romans 9.21 says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Thus we must be molded by the Lord. As a story of Jeremiah and the potter vessel, we should see ourselves as a defective pot, needed to be broken, then reformed by the master potter after his will. Jeremiah 8, 3-4 says, and death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of him that remains of this evil family, which remain in all the places whether I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not arise? Shall they turn away and not return? To do this, we must always be waiting, yielded and still. We read in Romans 6, 13 and 16, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God, as those who were alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under, 
the law but under grace? God forbid. You know not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey as servants, you are to him ye obey, whether to sin or to death, or obedience unto righteousness. Stanza 2 says that we must look to the Lord to cleanse us from sin. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Our prayer should be for God to search our hearts. In Psalms 139:23, tells us to search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And after he has searched us, we should ask him to forgive us. It is our own sin that caused us to be unacceptable for God. So the first step in our remolding is to have them washed as white as snow. Isaiah 118 invites us to come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Again, to do this, we must humbly bow before him in complete submission to his will. We find in Philippians 2.10.10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Stanza 3 says that we must depend on the Lord to help us in our struggles. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, O oh power, surely is thine. Teach me and heal me, Savior divine. David understood the importance of going to God in prayer and asking for strength. In Psalms 4.1, he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Of course, the gospel is God's power unto salvation, as we read in Romans 1, 16, 4. Hear me when I call you, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Therefore, we must look to the gospel as God's means to give us spiritual strength, just as Jesus touched the blind man and made him see. In Mark eight twenty two through 26, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring, and they bring a, a blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly and he sent him away to his house saying neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town now stanza four says that we must so live that others will see christ in us have thine own way lord have thine own way hold o'er me being absolute sway Fill with thy spirit, till shall I see Christ only always living in me. Christ wants to hold over our being absolute sway and rule in our hearts. Listen to Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you, which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. He always wants us to be filled with the influence of the Holy Spirit as we, as it's written in Ephesians 18.18, 18, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit and switching thereto with all perseverance and supplications for the saints. Only as we so yield ourselves completely to God's will by crucifying ourselves can others begin to see in the influence of Christ in our lives? In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Too many people spend their whole lives pursuing their own goals and doing what they want to do rather than taking the time to seek what God would have them do. But the Christian life must be one of complete submission to the will of God. And this attitude is well exemplified by the plea, Have thine own way, Lord. With the events in this week, we must talk about the signs of the times. Never before have we seen a time when all of the events mentioned about the second coming were at play at once, Glenn. This is so true, Linda. This week we got a report that the the rebuilding of the temple has actually had a small beginning. The red heifer has been bred and is ready to be slaughtered and sacrificed. Israel is under attack from the descendants of Ishmael by Hamas, backed by Iran. And no one knows, I know, the hour or the day of his coming, but lift up your eyes. Redemption draweth nigh. There are so many signs right now. We just have to think about it. The Bible tells us what it will be like when Jesus returns for his people. It says it will be a careless generation. In Luke 17, 28-30 says, Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And in Hebrews eleven seven it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. It also says it was a corrupt generation. In Genesis six eleven through 12, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And in Genesis 5, 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and in that day the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In Jeremiah seventeen nine, we read, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in Romans three ten through 12 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says in the time of Noah they were caught off guard. Matthew twenty four thirty nine says, And knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then in Matthew twenty four thirty seven, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And in Matthew 24th, uh, 37 through 41, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days of the flood there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. 
Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. In Second Peter 3, 3-6, we see this, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Then in John 14:3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And in Matthew twenty four thirty six through 42 But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son be. For as the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding the mill, the other one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Again in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Also in John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Today's generation seems to dismiss anything serious and thus we don't live in a pure world. We don't even live in a good world. We live in a world where people can make a difference, but the world in which they live is more opposite to God than it ever been before. And the wickedness of man affected his will. In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of his thought of his heart was only evil continually always jeremiah seventeen nine says that the heart of deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who could know it the word translated intent is a word for desire or wishes he was evil because he wanted to be and his thoughts refer to his mind and demonstrated his intellect was polluted by sin and his heart was infected with the dreaded disease. Everything he did and everything he was in touch was tainted by sin. In Romans 3.10 it says, There is none righteous, no, not one, none who understands there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside and have together become unprofitable. So the passage spoke of the violence of Noah's day. We can absolutely see this in our modern time. You know, when your mind is evil and when your heart is evil, violence is the result. Noah's generation, like ours, was cavalier and careless and corrupted. Here's the last thing about their generation. They were caught off guard. The days of Noah returning to earth in a catastrophic way is a great and terrible thing that awaits those who refuse to enter to the ark of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. In the Lord's message on the Mount of Olives, where he said, But as it was in the days of Noah, also, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus was saying, If you want to know what it's going to be like before I come back, study what it was like before the flood. Very interesting, he did not presume to return when the world conditions resembled the day of Adam. He did not promise to come back 
when the world's condition resembled the days of Paul. He said, a comeback suddenly during a period of time resembling the days of Noah. So it is important for us to discover what were the days of Noah like in this book as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus links the history of the time of Noah and his ark to the certainty of the coming prophetic events and his return to his planet. There are four things that will help us understand how we should be alert to the times in which we live. First of all, the days of Noah, the generation of Noah, was a cavalier generation. It says in Matthew 24, As we said before, as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know that till the flood came and took them all away, so also were the coming of the Son of Man be now the word that first comes to my mind when I think about this, was a cavalier generation, a generation that dismissed anything that was serious. Noah was working away and preaching, and everyone uh, disregarded his message, and they thought he was a fool. How long did Noah preach to his generation about salvation? From the flood, 120 years, and his preaching cycle Eight people were saved, no one in his family. Nobody else even responded. Jesus said the days before rapture it will be just like the people that it'll be just like that. People will continue to live as they always lived, in spite of the drastic warnings and predictions. They will focus on the present, they will make plans for their future, only to ensure their own comfort. They will not give one thought to the possible a possibility that the prophets were right about Jesus coming back. As in the days of Noah, we see a preview of things to come, an advanced viewing of humanity in the last days, the generation witnessing the ark's construction. It was God-hating people, and their kind will return again in the end times, like the Noah's times. And indeed it has. People ignore heaven's message and its messengers. And they've carried on day after day, year after year, century after century, eating, drinking, pursuing relationships without even the slightest acknowledgement of their creator or reflecting on their responsibility to him. People no longer take church seriously and no longer respect those who are part of the ministry. There's no interest in spiritual things, for the world has become almost totally secular. We read in Luke's account of the Lord's message on the Mount of Olives. We see the story of Lot, that likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So what we should expect as we look for the Lord to come, it's just about what we're experiencing right now. Nothing is considered to be sacred, nor even respected. We are living in the days of Noah. The days of Noah are a lot like those that have existed in every generation since the earliest days of human history. There is a, a, a sea of indifference that takes place prior to the day of the Lord. The illustrations that follow in Luke about two men working in the field, two women grinding in the mill, also argue for the focus on normal, normally. How can a business as usual attitude exist the precise time when the 21 judgments of revelations are about to fall on the earth. Who could imagine that the most transparent meaning of the days of Noah is just as normal but unsuspecting lifestyles existed prior to the sudden judgment of the flood. So normal and unexpected lifestyles will exist prior to the rapture of the church. The rapture catch so many people by surprise, because they've 
never given any thought that they might have heard about it when they were in Sunday school or in church years ago. But they curl up their lips when somebody mentions a rapture or Noah's generation was a cavalier generation. Here's the second thing. It was a careless generation, very careless. We learned something more about it in the days of Noah. From the book of Hebrews, we see the listing of the heroes of faith. Here's what the author of Hebrews said about Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith you see. When God spoke to Noah, he believed, and he was moved with godly fear, and he was concerned for his family. His concern and care for the Lord condemned everyone else who was careless with godly things, and every day that he went to that ark and worked to put the ark together while people watched and discounted it. They were careless. Noah (laughs) cared about the people, but everybody else was careless. I'm sure it was not a popular thing in the groups of people, and the peer pressure was incredibly focused against listening to anything that Noah would say. And it's like that today. Pastors are being minimized. People that used to have the respect of the community are being pushed away, and folks are saying, you're not going to get involved with them, are you? Today, people are ignoring the spiritual warning signs because it seems ridiculous that anything could happen to them. Peter was thinking about what he'd heard Jesus say on the Mount of Olives when he wrote, scoffers will come in that last days walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For this for this, willfully forget that the word of God and, and the world's that then existed, perished, being flooded with water. Peter said in the days just before the people were scoffing so it would it would be like the generation of people who just fluff it off and think, what's the big deal? They're careless to the point of not showing any interest. I think the most telling sign that we're living at the edge of days like the days of Noah is that today we have one of the most corrupt generations ever. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, this is the description of Noah's generation. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had been corrupted. The ways of the earth in that one verse The word corrupt is used three times. Genesis 5, 6 says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is much like things are today. Listen to that again. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. First of all, the wickedness of man was great. This describes its intensity as it was full-blown sin with no regard for the right of God. So bad was it that it affected every intent of his thought and his heart. Man was only evil. If he had had to choose between right and wrong, he chose wrong. He was evil all the time. There was no way and there was no law and his sin was one right after another. He lived in a sin all time. In the days of Noah, it would not just be a man's thoughts were evil, but that he intended his thoughts to be evil. And wasn't that just some of his thoughts were evil, but that every one of his thoughts were evil. And it wasn't that his thoughts were good some of the time and evil some of the time. It was just his thoughts were evil all of the time. No other place in the Bible is there such a description of the doctrine of total corruption tainted with the sickness of sin. In Noah's day, that was it. The Bible says they had vile imaginations. It hasn't changed, but now we have technology 
to put all those images even worse to be seen on screens and instantly transport them to a billion depraved minds with the click of a button. Statistic you'll find hard to believe is over a third of all internet downloads are related to pornography and 10% of all viewers are under the age of 12. What was going on in days of Noah? We've upgraded it in a different way, but we're figuring out a way to do the same thing. We don't live in a pure world. We don't even live in a good world. We live in a world where good people can make a difference, but the world in which we live is more opposite to God than it ever has been. And the wickedness of man affects his will, and the world translated intent is the word used for desire or wishes. He was evil because he wanted to be evil, and his thoughts refer to his mind and demonstrated that his intellect was polluted by sin and his heart was infected and his was diseased. Everything he did and everything he touched was tainted by sin. In Genesis 65, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And in Romans 3.10, it says there is none righteous, no, not one. Can we understand there is none who seeks after God? They have all turned aside and have together become unprofitable. The passage spoke of the violence in Noah's day, but we can see it in modern times. The hearts are like well, likewise, evil. Violence is only the result. It's always the result. Noah's generation, like ours, was cavalier and careless and corrupted. And the last thing about their generation, they were caught off guard. They were caught off guard. Matthew twenty four thirty nine says, And they did not know until the flood came and took them away. And they also, uh, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's not... There's not going to be any uh, announcement. Folks, there won't be any announcement about the rapture and, and the coming of Christ. When you go to bed one night, there will not be even an overnight warning. The rapture will come in the morning. No, we have no idea. We have no idea that it's coming. On that day, we will think it won't come. And he will. And those who have lived according to the dictates of their heart, whose intents have been wrong, and they have decided to mock the gospel preached in the name of Jesus, and all those people will be shocked that they won't know what to do. My friend, this is a wonderful analogy of what we should expect if we look forward to, uh, to the rapture of Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 uh, goes on to say, as is a day, Sonoda, Noah were also the coming of the Son of Man be. The two men working, one will take and one will, be, one will stay. Two women working the meal, one take and one stay and left. And there's, there's no better way to describe the rapture. Two people working side by side in a field, one is taken, the other's left. Two women grinding grain, one is taken, the other's left. The word taken here is the Greek means going away. Just a few days later, Jesus says the exact same word in the upper room. He says, uh, If I go away, I will come again and receive. And take, take you away, uh, the meaning is to take, one, take to oneself. In other words, Jesus said, During the times resembling those of Noah, he would return. And some people would be taken and others would be left behind. People are going to be caught off guard. Look at the entire passage. Notice the first and last sentences. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. 
so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, others will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We know the Lord is coming. This is not the end of the world, but it is probably the world of the end we're living in. How do we know that? If we just did a little study, the Bible says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days before the Lord comes back. We know how it was in the days of culture and the way of life. It may be 10 years, 20 years, or we may not see it in this next generation. But we're always to be ready because the coming of the Lord is an imminent thing. And here we have this incredible picture that reminds us that we should be ready at all times. Now, this has been a long podcast today, I know. But it's important. It's really important. We've repeated things several times because it's in the Bible several several times. There's an awful lot in the Bible about the second coming of Christ. And it was put there for a reason. Jesus wanted us to know and look for the signs. Are you ready? Here's the answer to that question. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you know that he has forgiven your sins, you're ready. You say, well, I'm not sure, Glenn, that I agree with everything you've said. I'm not even sure I believe it. Well, here's something I'd like to share with you. The truth is not determined by what you believe. The truth is determined by whether it's not it's not determined by whether you believe it or not. Error is error, whether you believe it or not. Some people might just say, I can't believe that God would never do that. We should tell them you're absolutely right because doesn't your God doesn't exist. You can't create a God to agree with your opinion. Here's the difference. God created us in his image. We don't get to create God in our image. That's the whole problem. An interesting fact about the original ark was the fact that it only had one door. That's the door the snail crawled through. That door Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, and their wives, all alike, entered that one door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Amen. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Don't let anybody peddle this nonsense to you that there are many ways to go to heaven. You just need to be sincere. A lot of people are sincere. They're just sincerely wrong. And you know your sincerity needs to be measured by the Bible. Somebody might say, Glenn, that's not very nice for you to say that. What you believe is the only way you can go to heaven. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is himself, the Son of God, living God, said I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except through me. I don't know what else we could say. There is no other way. There's no other way to safety, only one way to escape the coming judgment, and that's through Christ. He bore our sins on the cross for us, and he bids us to come to him, and when we do, he hears us and forgives us, and we can go to that, go to heaven one day through the door to heaven, and it'll shut, and there'll be no more entrances. Can you imagine? The people that were outside the ark, well, when it started to rain, and it, it became apparent that they wouldn't be allowed to get on the ark, and that they would be lost in the flood. Surely they had to remember Noah standing there by the ark, preaching the gospel every day. And they punished themselves for their rebellion and and willingness to listen. You need to get ready. Get ready for Jesus to come back. 
The rapture could happen at any moment. Don't delay. Don't think you have all the time in the world. You may not have the rest of this day. Ask Jesus to come in and live within your heart and let him have his own way with you. Now, we appreciate your spending this time with us today for our podcast. With our podcast. You all are so special to us because you're special to Jesus. We love Jesus and we love you. God has been so gracious to allow us this podcast. We are thankful for this. Even though we did not ask anyone for money, we have had help from our audience. When our song is played, we receive a small streaming royalty of five cents. So, we want to say thank you for listening to our songs on one of the 50 distributors we have worldwide. As you listen to our music while you're traveling or working around the house or whatever you're doing, we trust you enjoy the music and pray it's a spiritual blessing to you. Remember, you are helping keep our ministry going just by listening. If you don't have a streaming service already, you can listen to our music for free. Just go and sign on to YouTube Audio Channel, and it's at www.youtube.com at We Are Forgiven. And you can listen to 150 of our songs. You can also check out our video channels there, too. If you already have Alexis or Echo, just say, play the music of Glenn Dawson, and listen as long as you like for free. If you're not getting our newsletter, go to our website at Glenn, that's G-L-E-N-N Dawson, D-A-W-B-S-O-N-E-A dot com, and click on Newsletter. Well, folks, that concludes our podcast this week. We'll see you again next week. Till then, God bless you. And remember, we love love you all. all. Bye Bye for for now. now.